I am so excited to be partnering up with Gorillas again this season. The original sexy grocery delivery app is revolutionizing online shopping. Fresh food delivered to your door in minutes, catering to all your food needs. Operating in nine countries around the world, Gorillas supports small businesses as well as local producers to bring your favorite brands to your door. Run out of wine during the dinner party? Gorillas can sort that. Run out of eggs for your Sunday morning pancakes? Gorillas can also sort that. Don't believe me when I say how great they are? Then download their app and get £10 off your first order when you spend £20. Use the code SEXY10 at checkout and thank me later. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Hello, lovely listeners. This week is a special one for you all. I'm treating you to inside access to the live event I hosted with Soho House at White City House in London this month with my gorgeous guest, Shivi Ramotar. Soho House wanted to focus on the theme of nourishment, so we covered it all. How we nourish ourselves through our tummies, our mind, emotions and physical well-being. We chatted about Shibby's childhood in Trinidad and I opened up the floor to a live Q&A which was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoy the first of what I hope will be many live episodes. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for coming. It's an awful evening of weather but thank you so much for coming out i really appreciate it sorry I'm not used to such a big mic okay here we go sorry <laughs> we're gonna get started <laughs> and my mother's gonna get sent out <laughs> welcome everyone um, I am Hannah Harley-Young, if you don't know already, and I am the creator and host of Crazy Sexy Food. Crazy Sexy Food is an all-encompassing food podcast and YouTube channel. I'm interested in the people behind the food and the stories behind the people. Soho House and myself have joined forces to bring the conversation of food, life, and everything in between to a live format. And this month, we're focusing on the theme of nourishment and what it means to us, how we nourish ourselves through food, our mindset, and even through our physical well-being. So to kick things off on what I hope will be a series, hint, hint, to the Soho House gods out there, <laughs> um, we are joined by Shivi Ramotar. Hello. Hello, thank you. Now, many of you will recognize Shivi um, on our TV. Uh, she is the face a regular face, shall I say, on This Morning, on Saturday Kitchen, and Roman, uh, Martin and Roman's Weekend Best. She's also the lady behind the best-selling cookbooks, Caribbean Modern and The Ice Kitchen. Born in Trinidad and raised between the gorgeous sandy beaches and the grassy Leicestershire countryside, <laughs> Shivy finally settled in gorgeous London. <laughs> yeah, of course, absolutely. She is a food writer, a TV chef, wife, mother, and an all-round fabulous lady who has made it her culinary mission to twist the classic Caribbean dishes of her childhood into vibrant and easy recipes. So, welcome, Shivy. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, that's uh, you're absolutely welcome. It's quite mm. nice. It's a change from mum you know that introduction so 
I feel very happy already. You're putting on your sort of, you, you, your fun hat now. Oh yeah, fun hat. We've got our Bunny Marys down, they're all good. <laughs> so I just want to get straight into it. What does nourishment mean to you? So it's, uh, you know, I think officially nourishment is nourishing one's body, giving it the what it needs basically to grow, to be healthy, to have a healthy mind, all of that element. Um, and for me, it is very much about listening to your body. Um, I know very often nourishment can be twisted into a, a, a diet kind of format, which is, I think, sad to say, it's probably more common to find it in that sort of diet sphere. But I think nourishment comes from comfort, listening to what you need. Um, and this isn't only about food. It's about, I guess, you know, your mindful... Gosh, it's a bad choice of word, given we're talking about. But you know what I mean? Actually <laughs> no, 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 being mindful. So nourishment isn't simply what you eat, but it's what you listen to, what you look at, the things that inspire you. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm sort of led by my stomach. And we're going to mm. come to that conversation in a minute. But I think it is... Oh, what's so funny about that? There's too many people here that know me. Um, but I think... I think also, for me, it's about switching off. Mm. So it's whether I need to step away from my phone, step away from the internet, mm. step away sometimes from the news to sort of create those boundaries of what makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say the word good because I think that's also a very oh, overused word. We're in you this know? mire of awful words, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, I know. are good words, but actually they have connotations. Yeah, and I think it's also about the people that you surround yourself with. Mm. You know, being around nice people, being around, mm. you know, people that feed your soul in some way. I mean, I, in this social media world, mm. I do think that there is a lot of pressure to create this perfect life. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that we have to be happy all the time. We have to look after our well-being. How do you feel about that? Do, do you find those pressures yourself? Um, I don't. I do like to keep it real on socials, you know. I have, of course, these glossy images of, you know, like I will completely curate an image from tonight with 100 <laughs> photos and shoes. Oh, Hannah looks great. I'll text real, you to well, say, obviously. do you look happy? Are you happy <laughs> yeah, with this? Yeah. But um, obviously you have to be aware that um, socials, as you say, influence so many people and you want them to realise that behind the gloss of, you know, what they see you doing, there is a lot of other things that happen, you know. I try not to put my kids in social media, but I'll show that, you know... I woke up one day and I'm covered in yogurt, head to toe. You know, it's just a, it's part of day-to-day -day life. So I think it's really important, um, you know, and I know obviously that stories, and I, this is why I actually really like Instagram stories, because I think we see more of what Instagram used to be, the actual day-to-day -day, rather than the glossy images. Yeah. You know, it's a... I mean, I always say to myself that social media is only 5% of someone's life. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think you're inclined with social media to only put out the great stuff. Mm. I actually was talking to a friend the other day and I said, I would love someone to just have their account of all the things that are mundane and the, mm -hmm. and the things that have gone wrong and the yogurt head mm -hmm. to toe because actually I weirdly look at those sorts of images and I think, oh, it's not just me. Yeah. I mean, I don't have yogurt on me, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I have other, I have other uh, issues I have to deal with, okay? <laughs> <laughs> she needs to go. <laughs> Um, I mean, talk to me about some of the ways that you nourish yourself. Obviously, you know, the general topic being mm. about food. Mm -hmm. um, and I did mention that I am led by my stomach. Oh, who isn't? Let's be honest. Yeah. Think from breakfast to lunch to dinner, it's always meal, meal related, right? Absolutely. So, um, nourishment. So, I had about a month ago, it's about a month ago now, I had COVID. 
I had six days, um, maybe it's a bit longer than that. I had six days in my bedroom. Now, I love being alone. And obviously, I knew that my kids were fine. <laughs> Sounds awful. I, have a fa I love my family. But I also loved closing that door yeah. for six days and saying, you know, hubby, you look after the kids. I love my food being put outside my door. For me, and I obviously, you know, there have been people who've had really bad experiences of COVID, so I'm not belittling that in any way or form, but my experience was just a cold, so I closed the door, and I had six days of pure, full-on, hardcore nourishment. It was amazing. Happiness. And it really was <laughs> yeah. eating and listening to my body, so it was, because my husband can't cook a single thing. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's it's really bad. And I, I have Not even an egg. I have helped this come to this stage. He would say, how do I scramble an egg? You're a smart guy. Figure it out. Break an egg into a pan with a bit of oil. <laughs> so I had I delivered my way out of COVID. <laughs> I Netflixed, and I'm a person who actually. Do you know what? There's I think there's a lot of pressure on being you know culturally sophisticated, listening to the right thing, watching the right documentary. Yeah. For no. me, it was Pretty Little Liars or whatever it is. Yeah. You just you have to do the things that make you happy without that pressure, and it's eating those eating that as well. You know, and your body tells you. You mm. have to really tune in sometimes to your body. And it'll say maybe for three days, eat the burger, eat the burger, eat the burger. Then it'll say, oh, hold on. You may just want a light soup and a little sandwich or something. You know, I think if you really, and I know it's really tricky, especially for women, we have a complicated relationship with food. And sometimes you have to just listen, listen to the gut. Mm. The gut is the, is the way. No, totally. I mean... I Thank God you got to eat, because when I had COVID, I, it was the first time in my life that I experienced not eating. Mm. I mean, it was, it was... Oh, no. So, no, I know. It was terrible. Did you lose your taste? Yes. Oh! I know. That I is... Was, I was willing to sign out of life at that point, yeah, honestly. Well, what's the point of eating well, if you can't the, taste? The That's not life. nourishment, by the no, way. absolutely. Scrap that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, we're going to get to sort of your life story mm. and sort of how you've got to where you are today. But could you give us some ideas of some of your recipes that you find mm. nourishing? I mean, again, some, a word we haven't used, I think, is comfort. Mm. You know, there's, there's something nourishing about comfort food. For me, comfort and nourishment are one and the same because, yeah. again, comfort doesn't have to mean a rib-sticking lasagna or a bowl of spaghetti or a big bowl of rice. Comfort can be that salad. It's just yeah. something that your body needs. It's the comfort element. So right now I'm working on my third book, and it's great that, you know, it, it sort of ties into the sense of, of, of nourishment in the sense that I try to focus a lot on food snobbery because there is a lot of food snobbery, um, Eating and cooking and nourishing your body doesn't mean having to do everything from scratch. It doesn't mean making a pesto from the most gorgeous basil from the garden that you've grown. Don't put that pressure on yourself. You, but you know what I mean? Yeah, There's no, like, if, totally. if it's, you know, if, if you've put on Instagram, and I know people, I know some foodie people, just pull my own ear, who have taken jarred pesto and put it on something mm. and, you know, would say, this is the recipe. I know people who do this. There is nothing wrong with going into the supermarket and picking up a jar of pesto, taking open a tin of beans, putting it into a hot pan, adding Ooh. a bit of squeeze of lemon, a little bit of garlic, drizzling it with pesto, some pine nuts. There is nothing wrong with using those convenience products if that nourishes you. You know, yeah. you have to be okay with doing that because you go into a supermarket and you are surrounded by lots of convenient elements. Not all of it's great because you can look at the additives and blah, 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 but actually, Sometimes your body needs nourishment by something you make, but it can be that pasta that you boil and that jar of pesto that mm. you buy. Mm. There is nothing wrong with that, you know? And again, I also think there still comes that pressure of, 
as you said, oh gosh, I need to find the basil that's been grown in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, it's like... Or grow well, it yourself. Or grow myself. You know, I, I don't grow my own herbs and, and whatnot. Mm. Um, I, to be honest with you, I, I haven't really been very interested in doing that. Mm. And I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to say that. But Good. I do think that we do... That, as you said, there are a few people out there the food snobs who, you know, if your food hasn't come from, like, the Holy Grail, mm. well, then, what you know, what are you doing talking about it? Buy the ginger puree. Buy the garlic puree. Don't fret about grating and peeling and, you know... I mean, I mean, I say this now on Saturday Kitchen, I'll be like, grate the ginger puree. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody on Twitter's going to get their the knickers in a twist. This is the real Yeah, there we go. One I made earlier. <laughs> um, before we sort of step away from the, work, from sort of the theme of tonight... Mm. I think we must talk about the connection between mental health mm -hmm. and our stomachs. Um, personally, for me, everything that I eat has a different reaction to my mood. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to have some junk food, I know an hour later I'm going to feel awful. I'm probably going to be lying down. How do you mean feel awful? Regret or you feel in your body um, that there is... I just, I just feel heavy in my body. I okay, feel lethargic. Yeah. And it's now been medically proven that our mental health is affected by what we eat. Mm -hmm. I wondered what your thoughts were on that. So there's a fantastic book by my friend Kimberly Wilson who talked about brain and food and there is completely, um, it, it makes sense, right? You think about what goes into your body has to come out in some way. Um, and of course the brain, there's so much of it we haven't explored, um, but there is definitely a link to what we eat and how we react and respond. And, and my, you know, as I talked about convenience foods, but the things that I do try to avoid are um, artificial additives as much as possible, because you can even see that in a child, for example. And I know I'm not talking necessarily mental health, but you shove E numbers into a child and you see the reaction physically, so you know something's happening in there. Um, it's, it's tricky for me because I love a junk food occasionally. Um, What's your junk food of choice? Oh, of curiosity. What day are we talking about? Mm, Saturday. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I love a good. I love a good dirty burger. Okay. And that wasn't a Soho specific, know, by the way. It wasn't. <laughs> were you looking for a sponsorship? <laughs> it was more just a. You know, like you wanna. Sometimes you want a burger to do its job. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got to be greasy. Yeah. It's got to be. Oh, yeah. Um, so I like that. But then, but then this is the thing. If you listen to your body. If you really tune in, you will find then, a day later, do you want that dirty burger again? No. Yeah. Your, your body's going to want something else. Yeah. And I, this is why I think more than the idea of wellness and, and diets, and I know everybody's situation is different. I know some people have to go on diets for health. Um, but a lot of it for me, and when I think about it in a personal level, if I've tried dieting in the past, it's never ended well. The best way for me to regulate is the wrong word but to keep myself in check in a in a healthy wholesome way is just to listen mm. and to allow myself that burger or the ice cream because it balances mm, wasn't completely. there a study and this is again with children but there was a study um years and years ago you know they gave children like a group of 10 children over a one month they said to them eat whatever you want and i'm talking about like up until two years old so from six months to two years old or you know eat whatever you want for like the first week, some children would just eat the beige, the pasta and the carbohydrate, and some children would only eat chocolate or whatever. But over the course of the month, it 
evened out. So by the end of it, they had roughly had the same amount of nutritional input. That's so Just, interesting. You know, and they don't have the thoughts about, I shouldn't eat that, I shouldn't eat that. It was yeah. quite, you know. I mean, I mean, what happens, to, I mean, I don't believe in diets. I, for me, you, you bring the word restriction, you bring the word diet in, I automatically go into rebellious mode. Mm. So if you're going to take something away from me, I'm going to want it even more. Mm. I also personally don't think that they're healthy and sustainable mm. long-term. But, you know, again, if it is a medical reason, mm -hmm. I completely understand. For me, everything in moderation. Yeah. You know, if I want the pizza, eat the pizza. the bloody pizza. Yeah. You know, like, life is just too short. As long as I'm not having a pizza every day, yeah. there may have been times in my 20s that might have happened. <laughs> We've all whatever, been there. <laughs> we leave that in the past and we move on. It's fine. So I want to just have a little chat about you and, and sort of your life. Mm -hmm. I want to take it back to your childhood. As I said in the intro, you were born in Trinidad. Yeah. You spent some time in New York as well, mm -hmm. then went to Leicestershire finally settled in London. I want to know what life was like growing up. Who was cooking? Mm. Was food important? Kind of paint the whole picture for us. Yeah, I mean, when I a lot of my childhood in Trinidad, I remember we were outdoors, as we always were on the streets, before being called in, saying you're late and being smacked with toothbrushes and whatnot. So if you were brought up in the Caribbean, you, you know, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of it was just that idyllic outdoor life you know I don't remember being indoors at all I remember having two avocado trees oh, we had plum you know it's just vegetation you find everywhere um within food, food obviously is a massive part of life and particularly in Trinidad we have this phenomenon called liming okay oh it's this just gets me every time liming so it's a verb and it's a noun to lime or liming so kind of what we're doing now Hannah is liming it's it's a well not necessarily in front of an audience but <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of relaxing, chillaxing with a drink in hand, normally with food. It should We should have food here, yeah, actually, so that's a yeah. big no-no. But the idea Next is month. just... <laughs> <laughs> but it is just letting time roll by. There is no pressure. The proper <clears throat> manana, manana thing comes to light. And what happens is, next door, nobody knows anybody, but they'll come by and sort of see what's happening, and they'll come in somehow... They'll grab something from the kitchen. People just start cooking in the kitchen, doing their own thing. And it is just this gorgeous camaraderie of people who are connected from the food and from the whatever they're drinking. And there's music. It is just the most wonderful cultural phenomenon. And that liming, you know, I, I think I've heard somebody on TV who wasn't Caribbean talk about it. And it just made me so proud because I think there's a social thing to it that helps relax, helps just to ease you in. You know, it's just a, oh, it's wonderful, liming, to lime. Oh, my God, I'm going to lime tomorrow and, <laughs> like, just lime. I'm never going to look at a lime in the same way. I know. I, know. I just, I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, it's wonderful. So food is the heartbeat. <laughs> food is the heartbeat of yes. everything in Trinidad and, and Caribbean as well. But, mm. I, you know, my memory is Trinidad. So I remember going to see my grandmother in the morning. She'd be making roti and we'd have roti, um, we'd have it with these, um, uh, uh, like, a chokers, so a okra choker, which is basically a mash, you know. It's all variations of Indian food because mm -hmm. we have a lot of Indian ancestry. And that meal would be finished, and there's so much labor in that meal. And she'd finish cook it. We'd finish be eating about 11, finish eating around 11. And um, she'd wash up, clean up. And then she start preparing lunch. Wow. It's a continuous, and it's mm. love. There's no, you know, now I bitch and moan a bit now. I'm like, oh, another meal. But that lady was just there creating this dish. And then this is the tiniest kitchen. I mean, it's small, it's stuffy, it's got like a plastic sheeting. I remember it so clearly. Everything's covered in that plastic. Um, like tarpaulin. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's on everything. And that meal's done, and she would just start the next meal. And it's just this ongoing love that she puts into her food. And it just... You know, it's something that has always stuck with me. Um, coming to the UK 
was slightly different. <laughs> because I love how your tone really changed <laughs> there as well. <laughs> Do you know why, though? It's because I, you know, I've come with a bit of an accent. So I'll skip past New York, because New York was a bit, really, it was quite a tough few years for us, because my dad was in the UK, and my mum was there raising three girls, and it was our first ever winter. We'd come oh, from, like... Gosh. Honestly, yeah. it was bad. We'd come from the Caribbean, and then this this first winter, our skin isn't used to this. Our skin, you know when you have dry skin on your... <laughs> we were covered with this white, sort of, like, flaky skin. And was, it, was this the first time that you'd left Trinidad? Yeah, yeah. And you walked into New York in the winter? We, we, we didn't walk. We no, flew. but you know, yeah, like, you must have been like, what is oh. this? What universe am I on? It was bitter. And then one day, we caught the bus to go to school, and the bus driver left my mum and my um, sister, who would have just been like, just turned one, on the streets. And me and my big sister had no idea where we were heading. We were just like, you know, where, where are we going? They just left. So it was quite a harsh mm. reality for us. Um, you know, so we'll skip past that. And we, we arrived in grassy Leicestershire. Um, so, so for me in Leicestershire, we lived in a little village, Cosby, that my mum still lives in now. And I reckon she chose Leicestershire because it's very multicultural. I had an aunt there. Um, but we were the only non-white people in our mm. village. So I think it must have been very difficult for my parents. And going to school with tiffin boxes of stinky curries was not the thing. It was really unpleasant yeah. when you open that Tupperware and the smell of, like, curry that's been sitting for a couple of hours comes out. It's not a way to make friends. Yeah. You know, so... No, I, I, I completely understand. It wasn't nice. When, whenever my mum would cook Iranian food and I'd get my packed lunches, it was like, you'd open up your desk, it was like... <laughs> yeah. And, like, the girl next to me would be like, what the hell is that, yeah. Hannah? Yeah. Like, well, you just don't know. Premature sweating, yeah. as somebody said to yeah. me once. I was like, that's a really unpleasant term. But, you know, so then a lot of the time I used to stop asking my mum to make food for me and I used, used to, at, like, seven or eight, make these... I was so proud of my salad sandwiches. Literally, um, what's the, 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 the green and white? It's a white sauce with a green lid. Um, salad Heinz. cream. Salad cream. No, it wasn't. It, it was chunky. You open it, it was in a jar. Sandwich spread. Oh, gosh. Oh, but I loved it. A sandwich spread? Sandwich is, spread. Is it like, is it like a... Uh, it's chunky processed vegetables. This is absolutely what's not nourishment for you. Oh, God, there, there we go. <laughs> You've been missing out. You've been missing out. I've been out. missing out. I mean, and just sort of back to the Trinidadian food, mm. for anyone that might not know, because uh, a couple of years ago I actually did a show all about Caribbean food in mm -hmm. London. And, you know, I think that the sort of, I'm sure not so much nowadays, but when some people think of Caribbean food, they think of jerk chicken, rice mm -hmm. and peas. That is so not the case you know, yeah. it's not, it's kind of like saying all oh, Middle Eastern food is the same. Mm -hmm, also mm -hmm. not the case. Kebab, you just think. Yeah, the yeah, first yeah exactly. Thing you think so talk us through some of the, the key dishes. Oh. So what for me gets me about Caribbean food, it's one of the first, and I know I've got to be careful because Iranian's quite similar, so I've got to watch what I say, but it's one of the first multicultural cuisines officially, because if you think about the movement of people coming through, so we are this indigenous people, the Arawaks and the Caribs were the ones who, you know, lived there on those islands. And then we have the, um, the Europeans coming in, um, bringing the indentured um, uh, people from uh, China and from India. 
um, the Portuguese, so within the European, we had Portuguese heavily influenced, Spanish, French. So you can imagine the culmination of all of those cuisines creates this truly unique fusion food. So um, from the European side, we have a lot of salt cod. So mm -hmm. the Portuguese, so we have this dish called, my French is appalling, so apologies to anybody who's French. It's called um, bouljol, but I think it's come from the term brulgeul, burnt mouth. Is that a, I'm seeing you nod, is that how you pronounce brulgeul, burnt mouth? Oh, great, nobody starts, just pretend. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> brulgeul. <laughs> So it, it's basically this saltfish dish which has got so much fresh pepper and spice in it, and that's Portuguese. So jerk has come from the African, obviously mm. there's a massive African influence coming in. So jerk has come from the way um, that you prepare meats. We have this dish called callaloo, which is like this big stew. Mm. And I think the thing about Caribbean flavors, like the people, it's big and it's bold and you just shove everything in there. You know, it's like the mongrel of food and it just works. And the idea behind callaloo is that um, you know, the, the, the plantation workers would be given the rubbish cuts of meat, things that were going off. So it's smelly, it's not great. So they would put as much seasoning and flavor into it so they couldn't taste it. Um, and the other one I love, uh, Jamaican patties. Everybody loves Jamaican patties. That has come from Cornish pasties. Yeah. So it's just, you know, the, the stories behind the food. So a lot of the time, you know, when I, I, I try to talk about Caribbean food and say, actually, other than the jerk and the curry, um, which incredible. So Trinidad is renowned for pelau and curry chicken. A lot of the dishes are actually very um, familiar. They're mm. things that you'd have seen somewhere, but it's a slight little twist. I love the and food. And sort of, we sort of got um, a bit uh, sidetracked, but so you were having these dishes in mm. your lunchbox. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. you know, your, your desk was stinking. It was all going off. <laughs> so, and this was in Leicestershire. Yeah. So at what point did you then move to London? Was that into your later life? So yeah, so I, uh, you know, I was in the little village school, then we went into Leicester City School, which was a little bit more accepting, because um, uh, in the city, there'd be a lot more Indian um, families, so, you know, it was another girl had curry, so I was like, oh, best friends, you know? <laughs> um, so it was great, and then uh, I um, moved to London uh, to study, um, and um, I studied, of course, I didn't cook a thing in my three years of being a student. Who does? Yeah, who does? We had this really sweet deal. We had this um, guy who lived in our hall. So the idea, I mean, actually, it wasn't a sweet deal if we look back. Me, three other friends, and this guy, we'd put our money together. But not this guy, because he'd be cooking. I mean, oh, such wow. a naive <laughs> fool. You got massively done. <laughs> the whole year. <laughs> Dan, I've got to go and find him one day. So you owe me quite a lot of, you know, and Lord knows what he was putting in the food, yeah. I tell you. Um, yeah, so London. And then I ended up uh, uh, qualifying and practicing as a lawyer, which was actually not a nice part of, a part of my life. That was a, uh, mentally for me, it wasn't a good time in my life. You know, I was doing something that stifled creativity for me, because I know being a lawyer is an incredible thing, but it was just really not a good place for me. And funnily enough, after me pushing away my Caribbean food in my childhood and teens, I found myself going home and wanting to cook food that comforted me. Nourishment. There we go, you know? So that's when I started rediscovering my love and my appreciation, not only of the food, but I guess of my parents. You know, it, it's more than just the food, isn't it? The food is the heart, but it just, if you sort of extrapolate it out, it's my rejection of my parents at a stage and, you know, my culture and my identity... There's a long time of me trying to work out who am I? You know, I feel like this international random person who's just here and there and everywhere. So, 
So how many years were you practicing as a lawyer? So I did three years as a student, one year um, LPC, and then two years uh, uh, training contract, and one year, God, I've wasted a lot of years, and then one year practicing. <laughs> Like eight years. And so, so just to reiterate what you said, so you would go home because you were obviously clearly very unhappy in your job mm. and you would go home and you, I guess you would sort, find a way to comfort yourself. Yeah. And then I guess that's where the cooking... Yeah, I and, did it. And, and here we are. So how did you get from leaving your job as a lawyer to then suddenly creating this completely new life? I mean, I couldn't think of anything more opposite than know. you know the corporate world, so to speak. Oh, I know. I get the shivers just thinking about it. So, oh no, honestly, it was just like, oh, you know, I've got no, I've got one friend from that time in my life um, who wishes he wasn't a lawyer, and he's an incredible cook. Maybe who knows? Look out for him in a couple of years. Um, so I you could start like a little cult of like ex-lawyers. Do you know what? In the food industry, there are loads of ex-lawyers. Really, there are loads of ex-lawyers, chefs in restaurants. There's um, uh, writers, TV chefs. So many ex-lawyers oh, this is where everyone ends up yeah interesting turning to food <laughs> um oh what was the question no um i've forgotten um <laughs> food, oh, oh, so <laughs> have another bloody mary um yeah, no what was the question <laughs> oh no it was about about how i got into food from law yes that's okay. what, yeah so what's the jump sort of from leaving the corporate world to then suddenly finding yourself in a full-time job you know Cooking, recipe writing, you know, another really interesting facet. Do you know what I want? I, I want to say that I was this massive, big, brave hero who shut the door and said, this is not me, I'm going to be this person. Uh, but I was vol made voluntarily redundant. Okay. Made voluntarily redundant. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, they say voluntary redundancy. It's not. <laughs> it's just, you know, you're made redundant. Yeah. And I remember, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they put this voluntary redundancy, but there yeah. was no voluntary You have one it. choice. It's that. <laughs> You know, walk out the door. Um, and I remember calling my mum that day. And, you know, I told her before, I'm, I'm a bit unhappy. And she said, you know what, Chivi, in our life, sometimes we've got to do these things. And I was like, no, mm. I don't, you know. And obviously, you know, when I called her that day to say, mum, I don't have a job, in my heart of hearts, I was like, yes, you know. Because I, don't, I think it's really difficult when you've, you know, when you're going along this this path, it's like a, escalator right you're just going along going along going along getting off that when you're paid you know you, you're 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 living a life that maybe and you know I said I wasn't in a happy place but it just was going along could I have left that it's really you know mm. I look back at my life and think if things had been different I don't know mm. I really don't know so I thank whatever karma and whatever things were looking out for me to have made me redundant because without that I mean I may still be in the office now, you know? Going home and cooking a, yeah. a curry of some kind. Well, yeah. listen, I'm so happy that it worked out for you. I want to ask about your relationship with food. Mm. It's clearly very nourishing. <laughs> um, it's very healthy. What is a day in the life of food? Like, what's, what's an average day for you? So right now, average, I'm writing this book. So right now, there's a lot of... Um, so this morning, what do I have? Um, I have a cup of tea with my kids. I gave them porridge this morning. Um, I didn't have porridge there. What did I have? Oh, huh? <laughs> Close. That was yesterday. Close. <laughs> Close. But actually, I had this sort of, um, oh gosh, it sounds so shishi. I had this like acai bowl with oh, granola. 
<laughs> with granola and banana. Um, and My husband has that as well. Oh, but the thing is... It's like a homemade thing. It is. And sometimes I look and I'm like, all right. You keep it in the freezer, yeah, you mix yeah, it all yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole know. thing, yeah. Um, but, but it's what you, how you top it. So yeah. I've got peanut butter and I've got cacao nibs and I've got banana and I've got... Well, you know, just the things that... Yeah. Really, it's like a dessert. It's like having ice cream for breakfast, let's it be is. honest. Yeah. Um, so I had that and then I was doing a recipe test today. Did I test recipe-wise? Oh, I'm doing this uh, again. It's, it's a lot about the food snobbery, so using convenient items to make beautiful, world-flavoured food. So I did this um, uh, this harissa dish using gnocchi and baking it, which was lovely. Um, then lunch, I had noodles, um, gyoza noodles. And as, as I said, I'm testing a lot of recipes right now, so it's slightly ext more extravagant. Um, usually I love eggs. I'm a love an egg and chili person. That's my breakfast thing. Me too. You know? Me too. Oh, that's why I could never be a vegan. Oh, it's the it's the eggs for me that will just yeah just get me. Speaking of the new book, you also have a new show in the pipeline, uh -huh. and I know that you're not f allowed to fully completely speak about mm. it. But could you just give us a slight exclusive sure. insight into what's going on? Sure. So. As TV, I can't really speak about it yet, but it does air in like three weeks. <laughs> you so, be, so you're kind of like giving us a little bit, but like taking it back. I know, I know. So um, it's it's kind of like a follow-on. So last year I did the, um, the Saturday show with Martin and Roman Kemp, which was so much fun, you know, and I kind of adapt. And again, this show, there's an incredible person in the lead, taking the lead for it. And um, I think she's just so inspirational. But what is, it's fun for me because it makes my tone of cooking and the meals I choose and the reason why I choose those dishes to showcase, it is reflected in the person taking the lead. So with Martin and Roman, we had so much fun last year doing um, nachos and peri-peri chicken. Again, very simple things. Mm -hmm. And this year, it, it, I think it goes down to basics and seasonality. And it's always simplicity because I think food should be something that everybody has a right to go and make, and it should never, as I say, my thing about food and cooking is it should never stress anybody out. Yeah, there is no true. right or wrong. There is no place for food snobbery. Mm. There's a, always a place for McDonald's, for example. I don't turn my nose over that, even KFC. No, okay, no, you pushed me too far now. Um, I, I, I refuse to accept KFC as a form. <laughs> Who was that? No, I, I mean, I, yeah. Even no, a hot wing? Absolutely not. Can absolutely I tell you not. a quick little side fact? Um, Trinidad. They're not meat. <laughs> I will tell you this. It's in my blood. Trinidad, you know, given how tiny it is, it's the, um, it has the eighth largest turnover of KFCs. Oh. <laughs> You're trying to make us want to go to the country, not stay away. You try that KFC no, and you don't tell them you not. love it. No. In Trinidad, you go to Port of Spain and you try it because you will just... I'll do a Nando's. <laughs> we don't have Nando's. No. <laughs> so I wanted to bring um, one of my favorite elements of my podcast mm -hmm. to the live platform, and that is my quick fire questions mm -hmm. that I always end my chats with. So what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? So this is really tricky for me because, you know, being brought up with, um, we have a dish called sauce, which is cold pig trotters. It's very gelatinous, bit of a chewy. Also, we love gelatinous things. We've got um, chicken feet. Again, not crispy, but just chewy, mm -hmm. chewy. Um, pigtail in our rice, pelau with pigtail. Other than that, I'm pretty tame. <laughs> Clearly very subjective. <laughs> Funnily enough, I've actually had a pigtail myself. It was deep fried. Well, that's it tastes like it. a pork scratching. It's quite nice. It's a good 
What has been your most memorable meal? Hmm, that's a really tricky one. I want to say, like, the, the three kilos of cheese I ate when my first son was born. Literally, he just came out, and, um, <laughs> and I stuffed my face with, like, Stilton, Uzi cheese. Like, I really missed it. I really missed it. I had red wine as well. And then my mother-in-law walked in, and the baby was there, and I was like... <laughs> oh, Hi. <laughs> It genuinely happened, and I felt awful. I have to say that. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? That's not the first time that someone has answered and said their most memorable meal was when they'd just given birth. Yeah. And it, they've said it could have been as simple as a piece of toast, but it was because I've, they'd gone through that whole yeah. experience that the first thing to sort of reach their lips, it was like... Nourishment. Oh, this is a <laughs> Nourishment. There we go. Okay. My favourite question of all time, as I mm -hmm. think a few people in here will know... My favourite snack ever mm -hmm. is a packet of crisps. What is your favourite flavour of crisps and why? Oh, this is the most important question you're going to be asked today. Um, and you're also going to be judged on it. Oh, okay. So, I'm going to... Maybe I'm older than you. I think I'm too old for you, Hannah. Uh-oh. All right, let's see if you know this. It's when this packet of crisps cost me 10p. Okay, so probably. Well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, it is. Thanks for that, by the way. Gosh. All right. No, so that makes me old too. It was like a space invader or something. No, it's not. It is, it's of that ilk. Do you remember, I've forgotten what it's called, it's like a red packet with a dragon on top and it had like spicy tomato flavour. Tangy Toms. Tangy Toms. Oh, not the balls, the... Of the one with the dragon, the green dragon. I've ne I, okay, I'm actually mortified. Google it, Google it. I've never heard of these before. You're missing out. Wait, so they're the tomato sauce flavour? It's spicy. Look, look, look. I've okay, like so it's, like, it's basically a Bloody Mary in, in a crisp. In crisp form without uh, alcohol. I could do it, I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Okay. Snaps! No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's something else. <laughs> I'm too excited. Okay. It's not even nine o'clock yet, please. Okay. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. What food sums up happiness for you? Doubles, which I'm sure oh. you know about. Doubles. Yeah, I had... Yeah. <laughs> Explain what doubles are. So doubles are um, vegan. I, I say that because I always find myself having to... It's vegan. Sorry, sorry, did I hear it was snaps? snaps. It was snaps! Oh, it was snaps. Oh, right, God. Sorry, okay. let's... Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> so doubles. <laughs> Why have I not? I actually am annoyed that I don't know about. I don't know. I don't know where you're going to find it. Oh gosh. Okay. I'll don't. Right, you are. Fine. All right. Okay. I know people. Can you make sure you let me know where oh, to get yes. them? Oh yes. We're going to have them together. Actually, they're not going to be ten p though, are they? they can no, be about they're going to be like ninety five p or oh, something. Inflation. Okay. So doubles. This is. Um, it was once voted by Condé Nast New York. No, that's not right. New York, a really big New York magazine. The New Yorker. No. Do you know what? This completely <laughs> undermines what I'm saying. Anyway, a yeah. really, really important magazine once voted this the best sandwich in the world. Wow. So okay. it's two fluffy um, bits of dough called barra, and it's fried, but it's not greasy. It's sort of fluffy. And um, that will then be, that will encase this curried chickpea. It's a slightly runny curried chickpea. You put the curry chickpea in, so the, the barra overlaps, hence why it's doubles, because you've got two barra overlaps. On top of that, you pour this delicious chickpea curry 
which I'm salivating thinking about it. <laughs> and then you have condiment central. So you've got a spicy tamarind sauce. Oh, you've yes. got pepper sauce. You've got cucumber chutney. You've got a bit of mango chutney. And then these clever vendors, they wrap it in this paper like that. And then they, so you also ask, they ask whether you want it light, light, heavy, or medium. So light is low on the pepper sauce. Heavy is hot. And I always go heavy and then regret it. So you take it, you have it heavy, they wrap it, and you don't go anywhere with it. You literally go next to where the vendors are, and you open it, and you lean over. Otherwise, it's going to go all over you. And you just enjoy this as it just drips all over the floor. And it is, oh, it is honestly heaven. I'm it looks beautiful. I have had one, and I, and I can vouch that it is absolutely incredible. It's heart food. That's what it is. It is. It's, it's nourishment. It's nourishment. <laughs> <laughs> had to do it. Final question, and I always think, for me, the most important and a little bit philosophical. Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Yeah. Don't judge me. No, no, I was about to say, that's what life's all about. <laughs> Perfect. Shivy, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Hannah. Thank you, everybody. It was so nice. We... Um, we do have um, time for some questions if anyone has anything to ask Shivy or if you fancy asking me something, I don't know. <laughs> we have a mic. I think we've got a question over here. If you could have any two guests over for dinner that are alive, who would they be and what would you cook for them? Ooh. Does it have to be a food person? No, it could be no. anyone. Oh. This is really weird, but like Michelle Obama would be there for me. Nice. And also, this is also really weird if people are non-believers or not, and I'm still not sure I stand. I want to say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I have things to ask him. So do I. <laughs> and what are you making for Jesus? He will, no, do you know what? He will turn my loaf of bread into a feast. <laughs> I love that. That was good. And some doubles. And doubles, yeah. <laughs> but that is a true answer, though. Generally, um, genuinely Michelle and Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Oh, someone over there. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Um, I've really enjoyed this evening's conversation. There's one thing I'd like to flag up. We have not discussed people who have grown up within families who do not, do not have a food culture. You've been lucky enough to have had parents who have in, encouraged you and nourished you and given you great food. How do we look after families who do not have cooking skills or nourishment skills? And these are the people who are eating the Mackey D's mm. and the KFC's. How do we make a change in that way for the families? And how do we give back to these people who do not have the knowledge that has been passed to you by your family? Mm. This is a big issue, I think. It's I think it's an incredible issue to have raised. And I am, um, you know, I look at my, you know, schools firstly have a, a role to play in it. And I see slowly, and you know, it's not great. Like my son, when I look at the menu that they have at yeah. school, and it is atrocious, you know, still things on a regular basis, yeah. pizza and chips, hot dogs. Yeah. Um, once a week, they try to do a World Food Day. Yeah. But it's not only about school. I think it's a very much about education of parents. And this is why well, This I is what I'm talking about. Yes. If, if the family come from such dysfunctional backgrounds, there's no way they're going to be able to give that. How do we, where do we work with that? 
So this is where I, I, I keep harping on about food snobbery, but I think it's a key thing because you can't expect a family with, none, with no knowledge and having that love and nurture that we have been very lucky to have just to decide to rock up with a chopping board and all of these fancy ingredients and make these, these food. It has to come from a simple place. If it's as simple as boiling your pasta and buying a sauce as a start. And I think... But I think that what... All of your foodie people throughout, you know, all of the TV shows or whatever, Jamie Oliver's touched on it a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think there needs to be some more um, participation from everybody working in this field where mm -hmm. we go out and we just give these people the education. Mm -hmm. I also think, I mean, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but what used to be called home economics was taken off a lot of that, the school curriculum. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know, I don't know if some schools still do it, but I was not taught really? any of that at school. No, no, no. Oh I, 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 I mean, I was lucky that, yes, I, I, I came from a background that was, you know, very into the food, and my mum, that, that's mm -hmm. where I got my education, was from my mum. But I do but think I it needs to go back from to school. We but had that's domestic science classes, and every single uh, yeah. pupil had to go and bake a cake every week. But it was take, it's been taken off it the curriculum. Been. And that was taken off the curriculum. And we I need to bring it back. It needs to be back. And I know, actually, that uh, councils, local councils, aren't doing enough. But I know that there's some private schemes that have been set up. And I saw a friend who'd started running one, the Bear Kitchen in Hammersmith, for example. Yeah. And again, it was it's sort of phrased as, um, you know, a 16 to 18-year-olds um, for more disadvantaged backgrounds coming, again, to learn simple basics. Um, but, but this can start earlier. I started domestic science age 13. But there's a, there's a reason why she's done it for this age group. Okay. There's a, but, but you're right, it can start at any age, really. Well, it should start even earlier than that. You know, oh, it, it, should, it should to. be in primary school. It has to, but there's a well, specific I mean, reason. Well, I mean, yeah, not like at the age of four, but yeah. Yeah, there's so, and for me, a lot of it has to come to simplicity. <laughs> no, but even from no. four, you can. Even from four, yeah, you can get your I mean, kids, yeah. I'll get my kids in the kitchen, and, you know, that you can get little um, knives, uh, ones that are, they can safely, because they want to get involved. The yeah. whole point of when I think when you're teaching children is not to say it's dangerous. You have to let them get involved, because the, they're the things they like mm. to do. Mm. I think a lot of it is very much school, it's home. It's also sending the right message out when we watch TV shows about talking about it doesn't matter. You don't have to have the finest ingredients. You don't have to make everything from scratch. It has to be simple and approachable. But I do think more local um, local authorities need to yeah, be doing I that more Yeah, I also, I think, I mean, you know, from getting into the, this food world over the past couple of years, I have noticed the incredible, like, local communi communities that do things. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's at, like, a local youth club or... Um, sort of these big industrial kitchens, mm -hmm. <clears throat> they bring children in, they bring families in and just educate them, you know, just on the basics. Mm -hmm. You know, for us, you know, all sitting here tonight, we just think, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a pasta with tomato sauce. But for a family, that really could be something quite lavish. Absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's a bit of everything. I think it's getting it back onto the curriculum and I mm -hmm. think it's just really nailing it because... I actually think that you guys sitting here tonight could make a difference. I think it's something that should be brought up by all of you people that are mm -hmm. working social media or on TV and encouraging young people from backgrounds who are, <coughs> don't have the knowledge to cook. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for the future of our society because yep. what, are you, what were you talking about? Food is life, food is family. It's really important. And you're right, because I think a lot of, um, a lot of uh, uh, as we've touched upon, a lot of food is um, or can be seen to be a bit too far Highbrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, a bit too fancy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's about 
cutting through that. And actually, this is the whole thing about, you know, when some people can actually find it. You know, I remember I did something with um, a, a, a Hammersmith um, local authority a few years ago, and I remember this woman had come in, and um, we were talking about shopping. For example, how you spend a £10 in a grocery shop. You know, how rather than going and buying the, um, the, the Bart spices, go to the local, your local mm. um, shop and buy those big bags, which are, you know, they're, they're, it's like a pound for a massive bag. Um, and we were talking about how you spend your finances, how you make things go further, how you use freezers. There's nothing wrong with frozen food at all. You wrote a whole um, book about I it. I did. But there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but, it's and, actually but, brilliant. And, and genuinely, she said she could make her money go further in McDonald's getting the 99p saver menu. And a lot of it is it's education and how you do it. And there's not enough. You're right, there's not enough on that. We have a question at the front. No, Sorry. I was just going to say, just on the same topic, that we were just talking about, like, our own kids and nieces and nephews at nursery. And you know how you turn around and we're like, oh, a four-year-old. They're offering, like, home economics my son's nursery really and, yeah and that's he's amazing so the afternoon session which he's going to start in september he'll be three and the entire afternoon is cooking that's that so amazing. good and hannah if you just want to say what you were telling me <laughs> yeah it's the same it's the same as my niece who spends every friday afternoon cooking at the forest school in in chiswick and there's also um people who ha like a few it's happened in a few boroughs and ross walker has started this company. It's called Letting Grow, and he goes into schools, and he's working with local authorities, mm -hmm. and they are going into schools and teaching people, teaching these students, primary schools, how to grow their own vegetables. Brilliant. And at then seeing it right the way through, and then they have mm -hmm. a cooking day using what they've grown. So it is happening slowly, mm -hmm. but it, do, it does definitely need I to I do think there was a gap, because a lot of... You know, my friends are here, and I don't remember anything oh, happening at school. That, that's what I'm saying. There, there has been a gap in the generation yeah, yeah. where we yeah. weren't taught anything. We have a question in the middle. Um, what's been... Sorry, I'm going to change the topic slightly here. What's been your favourite recipe that you've um, created, whether that's been in a book or in a TV show? Oh, my gosh. That's a really <laughs> tricky question. Um, I always go back to the slightly Caribbean-inspired recipes... Do you know what I love? I love, um, I have a, a, a chicken curry, like a roti style recipe that I love. And why I love it is because, and this is really naughty, um, my grandmother would be turning in a grave, but I suggest people use, you know you can go and buy in supermarkets wraps, and next to wraps you have the now slightly fancier, but you can find them in the Tesco Metro, the Piadina. Yes, you know, the flakier like the wrap. more of Italian flatbreads, yes. yeah. So... I love finding little shortcuts and cheats in to, and still having delicious meals. And I do it. This is very simple chicken curry. Um, it involves just a quick dice of an onion, but everything else is just throw in. You know, it's not laborious. And then you warm up your piadina or piada. Piadina. There we go. Yeah, wow. And then um, you put you wrap it. So you use that as the roti skin. So Ooh. and if you get the flakiness, of course you don't get the dal the, 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 the dal coming out of it. But what I love is then people can genuinely go home and because who's going to go and make dalpuri but it means that you get people to make it and so many people tried that recipe and i loved it yeah it was a got a question over there um this is a, again a foodie question what are your top five store cupboard essentials Ooh. okay so can i can i so these are so <laughs> these five are to be able to make a meal at any moment so you always have them in your house right so freezer 
always have in your freezer frozen veg, whether you make it yourself and blanch it yourself or you buy Tesco mix bag. It's, you know, it's, I always say it's better to have it in the freezer than in the fridge where it leaches out the goodness. So you have that in your freezer, that's your veg. You always have in your freezer rolled puff pastry or rolled short crust pastry because, you know, you roll out a pastry, you throw some toppings on, voila, dinner. You always have in your freezer again. You always have in your freezer. What it makes, it means you always have it there, right? You don't have to worry about shelf life. In your freezer, you always have some form of protein that has been, so I love taking chicken thighs and scissors. If you snip them into thin shreds, you can freeze it flat and then into a bag so it's shaky, shaky. That you can cook from frozen. You don't have to defrost. Wow. I know. You don't have to defrost it. So it's completely safe. So, so you've got your protein, you've got your fancy pastry, you've got your vegetables. Always keep, again, forget about food snobbery, always keep flavor pastes like chipotle, gochujang, you want to go fancy because you can get that in Tesco Metro too now, jerk paste, um, sauces, have those in your, because then you see what you're building here, you're building, you've got your veg, you've got your meat, you can have pastry, you can throw a jar in, you can quickly put that with a bit of rice and you have different flavors. Um, the other thing I suggest that is really clever to do is during your week of cooking, say you've made a green curry or a chili, um, or a tomato sauce with pasta, um, if you just siphon off a few tablespoons of the sauce alone and you pop it in, a, um, in an ice cube tray, over the course of the week you end up with this rainbow of different flavours and you can take one of those cubes and throw it into a pan, take that frozen, um, the frozen fingers of chicken, throw it in and then you're getting that flavour coating. So that Thai green curry sauce now coats that chicken very subtly and then you can have a really quick meal with a bit of rice. I mean, it's just clever ways of using those elements. So that's Shivy, can you come and organise my freezer for me? I would love to. Please. Oh, Marie Kondo, though. Oh, please. God, I love it. My OCD is getting all excited. <laughs> We've got a question over here. Uh, yeah. Um, is, this is for both of you, actually. Is there any dish that you're famous for within your family and friends that everyone knows is that's, that's Hannah's dish, that's your dish? That Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's funny you ask that. Um, because I actually put a photo up of it today. I would say that I, I really started cooking, actually, when I met my now husband, because I always found it quite difficult to cook for myself. There was no, like, incentive. Um, and I thought I'd get fancy. And it, actually, touching on one of the ingredients you were just talking about, I created a tart, and I caught... And this was actually before... Uh, I started Crazy Sexy Food, I think, but I called it a tart for a tart. And it's the easiest thing in the world. And I have to say, it brings me so much happiness when I make it. It's, again, like standard ingredients. Mm. It's roll out the puff pastry. I spread some uh, pesto on top. Um, I then saute off some courgettes, some leeks mm. and, with some herbs. Put that as like my sort of vegetable base. Then I crumble on whatever cheese I have. I usually use feta. And then um, my piece de resistance is a little bit of um, chorizo, because oh. why not? Bung that in the oven, all caramelizes and crisps and melts and whatever, and you've got yourself an absolutely delicious meal. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I'll make it for you. Oh, tart for a tart. I, love love it. I know, I had to call it a tart for a tart. I mean, come on, <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> um, a dish for me... Um, I always bring chilli to the table. I love a bit of spice and stuff. Um, I love to throw tamarind in everything. Um, I think maybe I'm a bit of a sweet... I have to have a sweet tooth. Um, hmm. No, 
the problem is I'm always recipe testing. So I'm always like, here, try it. It's got chili. Um, but I do love uh, uh, um, uh, sticky toffee puddings. Um, and I do love banana and banoffee. But I always love tamarinding it up. Oh, so wow. with, with popcorn, with caramel, popcorn, tamarind, I love using tamarind in a dessert. So if I'm bringing in dessert, it'll have tamarind. If I'm making savory, it'll have chili. So that's it, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Uh, thanks so much. Really enjoyed the talk. Um, I wanted to also ask both of you, um, what's a food-related social cause that you care most about? Sorry, what was that? What's a food-related social cause that you care most about? Um, so I am a massive supporter of Magic Brekkie. Um, I don't know if anybody's come across that um, association. So basically, it, it talks about um, how a lot of children in the UK <coughs> go to school without being having breakfast and having food, and then a lot of the time they don't have a lunch, and they you know they go home and have very little for a meal. And the ability for children to listen and to absorb and be educated on an empty stomach. And I know how quickly children burn through. You know, on a walk to school. As soon as we get to school, my son's already hungry. So the appalling thing of, of, I remember reading the statistic of how many children go to school having had no breakfast. It's, it's awful, you know, because you're then um, hindering education. And of course, we need education to do anything in life. So that's my, I always support, and that, that's my go-to magic brekkie. Um, I've sort of similar actually I've done a lot of work and supported the Felix project I have a huge issue with food waste um, there's just no excuse for it if there's a moldy part of your cucumber cut the moldy part off and eat the rest of it and what the Felix project does um, they I think they did a lot of stuff during lockdown and they uh, they, they worked with Evening Standard to basically provide meals to people who were either without, for whatever reason, whether it was a financial situation, whether it was women in refu uh, refuge uh, centres, uh, the homeless. And what they also do is that they go to a lot of restaurants or like your pret-a-mangers and they get all of their food that hasn't been sold that day and redistribute it out around the city. And they're absolutely incredible. And I actually had... Unfortunately, he's left now, but the CEO came on the podcast, and mm -hmm. I think he said that from when lockdown happened, they went from redistributing around 2 million meals to 20 million. Wow. And that just shows you what happened, you know, during mm -hmm. what was obviously a crisis, but there's some serious numbers there. So, yeah. Hi there. Um, sorry. Um, Hi. Yeah, firstly, um, thank you for such a great talk. And it's also love to hear the East Midlands being represented. I'm from Nottingham. <laughs> I've lost the accent, and I don't say duck anymore, but I'm from Nottingham originally, so ah, I definitely sympathise. I've lost my accent too. Yeah, <laughs> It's survival. It's very critical. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Although, whenever I try and get a taxi, Nottingham, I'm like, what? So I'm like, right, can I get a fucking taxi? Because I'm like, then suddenly they You know where to bring it out. It. Yeah, I know. It's just like, I, I come out on a daily basis, it seems. But, um, <laughs> but I suppose my thing is, because also it's interesting what we were talking about earlier on in terms of social economics, because I was also brought up on benefits as well. Mm -hmm. So food was really, really critical to me, but I was lucky to have a good food legacy. Mm -hmm. My mother, she was English, but was brought up in Malaysia. So oh, wow, the thing that I was really... So some of the things that people get really excited about now, I get very cross about Thai Malaysian food, because I'm like, no, they're completely different. <laughs> like, it just it gives me a bit of rage, but... 
the thing that I would, but I also grew up thinking about is like how you reinvent yourself from your origins. So, mm -hmm. you know, sort of, that, so, so I suppose really my main thing tying into nourishment and comfort is legacy. So if we think about the legacy that we started off with, so for me, my mum's idea of roasting a chicken when I was growing up was quite frightening actually, because it was a frozen chicken. She put like dried ginger powder and like soy on it. It was the mid eighties, you know what I mean? Wow. This, this lighting's being kind to me right now, but. <laughs> Um, you know, but now I'm obsessed with roasting a chicken, but I've been finding like things that I like to do and thing, but I still think of her, but I've reinvented it. So I suppose my question is, and also I suppose, you know, for your children as well, is there anything that you have sort of from your heritage that you think, okay, this is part of my legacy, but in terms of looking at the future, like, you know, what is the dish? And I suppose for you as well, Hannah, you know, what things do you think that you've had in your past or that, you know, you had your origins from, but you've mm. reinvented and you've taken it forward? Um, it's a lovely question, actually. It is a lovely question. So for me, I've got um, two kids, uh, and um, I always have to remind, because obviously the, the two, we, we, I try to go and visit my family. My dad's still out there, um, and for the last couple of years, we had a, haven't been, and then before that, I had a newborn, so I wasn't really traveling anywhere. But um, for me, it's really important, because I've gone through a lot in my life to try to find my identity and really try to reconnect and I don't want them to forget the fact that they're half Trinidadian so I mean I shove it down their throat at every moment you know like it's world you know dress up day at school go as a carnival you know wear the feathers <laughs> on your hands and whatever and it, they're boys by the way boys um, but for me I take every opportunity and I, I find myself even when I'm recipe testing I will always be doing a Caribbean very simple even if it's fried plantain on toast so at every opportunity I find some way to say that's, you know, your mama, mama grew up on this. Oh, that's like, try it, you like it. And, they, you know, the more they have it, the more they like it. You know, so, so I don't think there's a specific dish, but at every opportunity, I want to show and share with them how amazing their food heritage and their, their half of their, who they are is, you know. Um, well, for me, I'm actually working on that at the moment because my mother is Iranian and... Uh, I massively identify with, with parts of the culture. Uh, that's why I am currently still learning how to speak Farsi. I still have my weekly sessions. And about three weeks ago, I finally, at the ripe old age of 34, made my first ever Iranian meal, uh, which there is someone sitting in the audience who had some of it. And um, <laughs> it was also help, helped along by Marcus Waring, who randomly had come, well, not randomly, he'd come to my house for a podcast recording, and he realised that I was overcooking the lamb somewhat. So um, I will take most of the credit, but Marcus also has taken a little bit. So it was a Michelin star, it ended up becoming a Michelin star dish nice. without any, like, planning, which was great. Um, but for me, that is so important. You know, I married an Iranian man. I will want my future children to be able to speak Iranian, um, I know that it can take four days just to make one Iranian dish, but it's for me, I'm still at that point that it's so important for me to learn how to make those and also cook with my mum. You know, I don't own a, a rice cooker, she does. Mm -hmm. I still need to learn how to make tadik, which if anyone knows... Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. I know your secrets anyway. But, you know, for me, that is, that is like the biggest thing. That's my legacy. I'll get there without Marcus Waring. I, I, but I, might, I might DM him, actually. I'll just DM and just say, can I have some help? 
Um, this is for both of you. What is your go-to sort of dinner party oh, gosh. meal? If you had a couple coming over for supper... I gave it to you already. Something. It was my Iranian meal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> says says her who was talking about underprivileged children and now she wants to talk about caviar. <laughs> I knew it would come out. I knew it. But that's part of your heritage. True, but we're not Get away we're not that. talking about that side of it, all right? <laughs> I love caviar. <laughs> I mean, and truffles as well. But if we're going to do it, oh, let's yeah, just yeah, say yeah. it all. Come yeah. on, get it all out. Ooh, very quick on truffle. Um, very quickly, I bought my mum a little truffle oil um, for Christmas a few years back. And she was cooking and she said, oh, that truffle oil, you know, doesn't work. I was like, why? Put it in curries. She doesn't understand the... Oh, like, no. Like, I'm putting Okay. So we'll... Um, Okay, yeah, what's your dinner party, oh, dinner party when dish? When I come over in a couple of weeks. Oh, okay, great. So I like to um, to do things with Caribbean food. So it's not always the same format, but the same flavour. So one of the things I love doing when it's particularly warm, which it's not, but I'm, I've heard there's a heat wave coming, heat wave coming, I like to take, so there's a dish called, or there's a, um, a, another sandwich called um, bacon shark. Not bacon shark. Bake like a fried bake, <laughs> which some people think it's bacon shark, but it's it's like a an, um like it's like a Johnny cake, so dumplings like fried dumplings, which is very um, uh, common to the Caribbean, and you fry it and you slice it open. You have shark, which is not controversial in the Caribbean. It's oh here. wow! Okay, it is obviously it's here, but it's not there. So and it's deep fried with um, this thing called green seasoning, which is oh, it's like um, all-purpose flavoring for everything. It's just flavor bombs. They're amazing. Um, and anyway, so I wouldn't do the deep frying of the dumpling because it's quite laborious. But I, what I would do, if you have a good flavor, taco it. People love a taco. You have the, oh, the flavors okay. of yeah. the, the fried fish. You have all of the condiments. You buy the wraps. It's easy because people can DIY it and you're not skimping on flavor. You get all of that Caribbean goodness in a lazy format. And it's fun. Margaritas yeah. and... Yeah. But oh yeah. gosh, I'm I've invited myself over, but I'm yeah. really excited. <laughs> don't worry, I'm going to give you loads of tacos. <laughs> I don't really have a simple answer for this because I've only just started properly hosting, and each time like a new couple come over, I'm always sort of testing out things. I think that a couple of the dishes I know that have gone very very well. Um, one of them is actually a recipe um, that I got from my mum, which is. You roast a whole chicken, but before you've roasted it, you basically stuff it with risotto rice that's been cooked with chorizo, thyme, onions, garlic, and you half cook it. Then you stuff the chicken, and you can do it the night before, the day before as well, which is great because that's what I hate is being very stressed before the people day, come yeah. over. And you roast it, and so the rice cooks in the chicken juices and kind of comes out. So it's quite, it's also quite. It's impressive to look at. Yeah, um, that's that was good. I had that recently, and um, I am obsessed with Ottolenghi's cooking. So I think his simple cookbook is does what it says on the tin. Yeah. It's simple, um, and anything on there is quite impressive. It always looks impressive. He has a um, he has a Ottolenghifiable way of doing oh, things. Yeah. He Ottolenghifies the hell but out of thank dishes. God he's removed the 105 ingredients yeah. that took me five hours to find these oh, things. it's true. And then it's by that true. point you're like, oh, sod it's it, I'm not much. doing it, yeah. It's too much. I had, um, uh, I had a great opportunity of working with him 
Um, or actually, I had to tell him off. I had somebody in my ear saying, tell Yotam to put the fucking eggs in now. Like, <laughs> you know. I said, Yotam, you're running out of time. Get those eggs in. And I thought, oh, this is naughty of me. <laughs> Oh, he's a god, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> but do you know what? I like what he I like what he did for 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 a cuisine, and I and I always say this. I feel like he brought Middle Eastern food and kind of what I touched on earlier. That's not just one cuisine. Yeah. You know, there's Palestinian, there's Lebanese, there's Iranian, there's Jordanian. There's he brought all of them to the home, mm. and you know. However many years ago, we wouldn't be talking about things like Zatar and stuff like that, whereas now you can find that in Tesco's around the yeah. corner. And so that, for me, was really exciting. Yeah. Any other questions before we finish up? We'll do one last one, if there is. No? Oh, guys, thank you very much. Oh, no? Who's your favourite chef? Oh, crikey. Well, that's <laughs> difficult. I feel like I'm under pressure here. Oh, they're different chefs for different things. <laughs> <laughs> Very diplomatic. Um, day to day, I love Matt Tebbett because I just love Matt Tebbett. He's oh. just a lovely, good guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he is passionate about his food. Um, fancy, fancy. Ooh. I also think that I have to also talk a lot about the female chefs. There's some incredible female chefs. I love Ravinda Bogle. I think how, oh, how, wow, she, yeah. how she celebrates food. And I love the fact that within her kitchen... And on her menu, her menu reflects who works in her kitchen, the different nationalities. So although it's an Indian restaurant, she'll have a Polish dish. And I think it's incredible because when you look at kitchens, particularly in the UK, although not so much now after Brexit, it's made up of, of just these incredible mixture of international um, identities. And to reflect that on a menu is something really special, you know? It just, yeah. Um, you actually, as you were talking about her, I remembered someone that I comp absolutely admire, and that's Asma Khan. I think what she's done for the industry and the fact that she keeps an all-female kitchen, um, the fact that she had to overcome so much adversity to get to where she is, that to the fact, to the point where when she opened her restaurant in London, the landlord wouldn't sell it to her because he didn't believe in what she was doing and believing. And now she's finally, she moved from Kingley Court in Carnaby Street to the most beautiful building in Covent Garden, which is now a listed building. Mm -hmm. And she's fought at every single moment. And I think she's absolutely incredible in what she does. Um, but I think also day to day, I, I'd have to say Yotalengi. I think Yotam, mm. I think he just revolutionized a whole, yeah. a whole sort of um, genre, genre of, of, of cooking. So, yeah. I'm going to call it. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Bye. Just <laughs> walk away and slink off now. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.